Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On. We are a multiple award-winning radio broadcast, and our 16th year is Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting our African-American community. And I'm Gloria Howell. Tonight, we have the audacity to look forward rather than back so we can highlight some of the bright young activists who are challenging the status quo and working to build a better future for us all, one vote at a time. We have amassed four up and coming thought leaders in the dynamic field of social activism and voter registration to come on and share their passions and collaborations. Tonight, we have with us, Jalen Radzminski, founder and CEO, Count Us In, McQueeba Reese, board of director president, Clarence Underwood, Racial Justice and Accessibility Fellow, and last but certainly not least, Monique Vargas, racial, also Racial Justice and Accessibility Fellow. Countessin's mission statement includes the furtherance of our cause is the most important goal of our organization. We seek to support, empower, and provide high quality resources to our community in a safe and secure environment. Our success isn't measured in terms of wealth or profit margin, but by the value we provide to those we serve. They've already gained a national following of individuals who have engaged in our virtual training on voting rights, resources, and education. Here to help us understand their passions, philosophy, and the Countess in movement are Jalen, McQueba, Clarence, and Monique. Welcome to Bring It On. How you all doing? Hello, hello. Hey, here we go. Hi, everyone. So um, I'm going to ask you all to start off. Well, let's start with Jalen, because <clears throat> as CEO and founder, I'm going to ask you to tell us about the organization, and then I want to go around the horn and, and ask each, each uh, one of you to briefly tell us what your role is in the organization. So, Jalen, on you. Well, thank you so much again for having us. And yes, my name is Jalen, the founder and CEO of Count Us In, and Gloria summarized our values and our mission statement so beautifully Again, Count Us In, we are an Indiana-based nonpartisan nonprofit, and we also identify as a movement, and our mission is just to uplift the voice of the citizens and foster more inclusive and equitable political participation by encouraging a larger, more diverse voter turnout, and we seek to educate, empower, and show the community that our voices matter. Um, I've come across a lot of just stagger, like just information that shocked me in the year of November 2019, that Indiana was in the lowest in civic literacy and civic engagement, the bottom five for multiple election cycles in a row. And that, you know, confounded by just the inequities that Black people, our BIPOC communities, um, our communities that are in poverty or lower income, and communities with disabilities, I really saw just the inequities in our voting system. And I was trying to find organizations that were centered in our communities um, in racial equity that intersected with voting and civil rights. And I couldn't find any active at the time. So that's what really sparked me to create Countess Indiana. 
and a little bit more about that inspiration. Um, right when I was ending undergrad, I worked at uh, Fair Fight Action, which was founded by Stacey Abrams. I went to undergrad in Atlanta, Georgia, and I saw the work that she was doing there and eagerly became a political fellow to just learn the ropes of how to do this type of work in a racial equity and civil and civil rights and just racial justice way. And ever since those moments and just all the things I learned, I knew that, you know, I can make a difference, but it wouldn't mean as much to me unless I brought this home to my community. So that's, I guess, more about Countessin and what inspired me to take action and honestly take a risk and create. Thank you, Who wants to go next? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll go. um, So hi, everyone. Like uh, Gloria and um, William Share, my name is McQueeba Reese, and I actually live and work in Bloomington, and I'm also an activist. And Jalen and I got connected literally online. We haven't met in person yet to this day, and we crack up about that because it's just, un, it just doesn't make sense to us, but the world of COVID, um, it made us, so we got connected this way. So I started Humanity for the Win in 2020, and I got connected with Jalen because of Humanity for the Win. Immediately, didn't even, I really don't even think I asked any questions. I said, hey, you want to hop onto my Humanity, Humanity for the Win um, support Facebook group and talk about voting because I knew how much it was, one, important to me, and I wanted the my audience of over 2K people at the time was about uh, 1K, but it's growing into a global space. But I wanted them to know all of the restrictions and what they need to do to prepare for to vote. And so her and her team hopped on Humanity for the Win with no question. We just had a conversation. And from there, it escalated rather quickly. (laughs) I became a board member. And now I guess I got voted in. as a president of the board and just doing work alongside, I like to call Jalen a hurricane because Mm -hmm. I don't think the world fully understands the Mm -hmm. magnitude of what she has to offer. And I'm super thankful that I get to be on this amazing team, educating about voting rights, encouraging even the NAACP of our local chapter in Monroe County to be on board with County of Indiana. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here to talk more about it, talk more about education and what we've been doing with County of Happy to be here. Do we have Monique? If Monique is on, I would like Monique to go first. You know, I let all of them go first. Yeah, she's okay. on. Okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I'm excited to be here with you all today. Um, I was a racial justice and accessibility fellow through Countess Indiana. And um, I actually found um, out about their racial justice and accessibility fellowship through Instagram because I followed their Instagram page. And then I took a chance to apply and then went through the interview process, got chosen to do it. And I really like what Countess Indiana is doing for black and brown orgs. And um, I like their vision on disability rights and voter rights. And so that's what I did as a fellow. Um, Did a project with Clarence. I'm sure he'll tell you more about that. I'm just really excited to be here. So, yes, nice to meet you all. I haven't met you guys. Uh, how is everyone doing? Of course, I am Clarence Underwood of Countess Inn. I got in tune with Countess Inn via James Garrett. I work closely with the Indiana Commission on the Social Status of Black Males. And what we do with the Indiana Commission on the Social Status of Black Males at the time, we were 
taking time to make sure that we introduced, we had what last event we had in public was called Young Black Males Matter Day. That was February 25th, right before COVID. And we brought young black males in ages, I believe um, eight to 16 to introduce them to the system. Instead of them being in the system, they got to see what happens on the house floor, Senate floor. They got to see who are their politicians, what lobbying is and things of that nature. So when I came across the information from Mr. Garrett, because we all keep a kind of close, tight knit circle for the same things, we all have the same goals. And when I came across it, it was just right up my alley because this is something that I'm out here doing myself and I do it with this group of people. And hey, here's another great group of people from a great reference. And here we are. That's how I got with Count Us In. Okay, Gloria. Thank you. Thank y'all for sharing that. Um, in reading about you and just hearing about you, um, all of you are homegrown. So with the exception of Monique, I think who was born in Alaska, but, <laughs> but grew up in Muncie, right? You consider that your home base? Um, and then we have McQueba, um, McQueba and Jalen, Fort Wayne and Clarence from Gary, Indiana, or what is it, GI, I think people, very affectionately referred to it as. We could just call it Music Man Indiana. Okay, Music Man, that works just fine. Um, so thinking about that, the fact that you grew up in, in the state of Indiana, can you talk a little bit about what it means for you um, to be here homegrown, doing the work um, in a place that you call home when especially in, in, in this age, a lot of people are trying to get out of places that they came from and they don't want to look back. Um, <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what it means for you to have grown up here, you know, experienced life here and you're, you're still here and now you're working. Um, can you talk about how that connects to your involvement and activism and those types of things? Anybody can, can start. Um, I, can, I can speak on that. Uh, for me, it, it's kind of like, the dramatic irony for me because I've been a lot of places and it always seems like I get drawn back to Indiana. And it seems like regardless of the places I go, my um, advocacy for my, my communities, it always happens here in Indiana. I grew up watching my mother and my father with the neighborhood through sports. So of course I, I ended up taking that up and things of that nature. And <clears throat> I just make sure I always stayed involved. So like seeing that it is blossoming for me here it's not a shock. I kind of, I kind of figured that that would happen because this is where I've been planted at, and I just, like I say, I, it's, I always get drawn back here like a moth to a flame for some reason. And this time that I came back, everything just started exploding. So I'm happy about that because even when I do get out of Indiana and retire somewhere else, I know that I left some great behind. I'll go next. I, for me, um, so I'm the youngest of thirteen, and so in Fort Wayne, my mom. Uh, my mom and my dad both had 13 kids together. And so they um, grew up like learning more and more about democracy. And because of them learning more and more about democracy, and I later found out that my dad was part of the Black Panther Party where he was helping with the, you know, food on the, on the corner, like that part of the Black Panther Party, like helping out. And my mom was a strong advocate in knowing more about her history too. And so they grew up, knowing that you know voting was important and so within my young adulthood or um, um, young teenage life I've seen my mom going working for the voting polls 
she would take off work and go and work those voting polls. I'm like, what are you doing? She would leave early in the morning to go work those voting polls. And I was just like, okay, so she's working those voting polls. And that instilled into me the importance of voting and democracy. And that's why I got so connected to wanting to do that no matter where I went, because I saw that in the home. And so that's all because of education. They were definitely advocates of education. Um, my older siblings are also voters and they like they they are part of democracy and want to make sure that we're part of voting. And so for me, it just it kind of was like following suit pretty much and like making sure that, you know, I do that and give back to my community in that way because I have a big old voice. And I'm just like, I don't want people in these different spaces speaking for me and they not really listening to me. So I'm just like, because of that, it's gonna be, I need, I need to make sure that I'm expressing myself through voting and not just criticizing on the sidelines, but being a part mm-hmm. of the, being a part of the whole entire process. That was something that I grew up with. That's why they call you all activists because you're not on the sidelines. Okay. <laughs> Your turn, Monique. Okay, well, to jump off of McQueeva's point about being a part of democracy, so I actually grew up with two active duty military parents, so I didn't really have a home, and we have a very international um, perspective on a lot of different things, right? So my dad took Muncie, and we moved back to Muncie, Indiana when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, that's when I really, like, started learning about, you know, activism and politics and all those different things and I had a a dad who always told us you know you have to go vote you better go vote and um he he was like if you don't vote then you you're not going to be able to complain about anything so make sure you vote and then ever since high school and when I was younger you know that's just how we grew up and so I went to college and I was interested in international studies and different things like that and how much um, of your regular identity is tied to, you know, your socio-political ideologies and statuses. And so, um, yeah, so I, I tied back to Indiana because it's like, you know, I may not like it here all the time. I may not like all the laws, et cetera. But um, since I live here, I'm going to be a part of my community. I'm going to make change in small ways when I can. And so that's definitely why I was really proud to have this fellowship because I felt like that helped me get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> Jalen, uh, I want to ask you a question. Um, and and so at this point, I want to pivot a little bit and turn the conversation more towards the work that you all are, are going to be doing in Indiana. Now, Jalen, you mentioned um, that you worked with Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight in, uh, in Georgia. Um, and so we all know some of the battles that went on out there, but what are some of the strategies that Stacey Abrams used to flip that state? And then do you think you can use some of those strategies here in Indiana at, at least to, to start to put a dent in the, uh, in some of the voting stats that, that you spoke about uh, early on in the conversation? Because you threw out some, some numbers there that were not very impressive. So I'd like you to comment on that, please. Absolutely. And really my, sorry, you all have my mind spinning too. I was just thinking about my life here growing up in Fort Wayne and just 
the completely different atmosphere going to school in the South. It was so different. But I mentioned that to say that, you know, coming back home, I heard people say, well, at least we're not Georgia. At least we're not insert state here that's been covered by the news over and over. And I was like, y'all, don't you see, like, they're using the same strategies against us here. Like, don't you see that a lot of the strict voter ID laws came from our political structure in Indiana? So, like, for me, it, I do genuinely believe that a lot of the strategies that I learned as a political fellow can really help kickstart us here. And I'm also very mindful and that we can't just simply duplicate things, if that makes sense. I just think it's a great template for us all to look at and work off of. So I can't get in like too much detail about like specifics, but I, I worked um, directly with their political director and a lot of his work and just following Stacey Abrams and her work, it really inspired me to have a lot of the mindset and just ways I approach things today. One thing you'll, if you listen to Stacey Abrams interview, she does not back down on making sure her people are heard like black people, other people in the BIPOC community, communities with disabilities, communities in rural areas. We have that here in Indiana as well. And she just said, you know, I listened to her interview with her recently, and I picked this up in the fellowship. First question is, did you really talk to everybody? Because I've noticed, um, especially coming back and just kind of in the trenches there, talking to everybody takes a lot of effort. Like we have to be intentional and in making sure we're including everyone, making sure the information is accessible, making sure we're meeting everyone where, where they're at analyzing a statewide system of, you know, things can its need to run for office versus what us as citizens need to know to be able to cast our vote and have all the things gathered to be able to be registered to vote. There's so many obstacles. There's so many variations by city, by county, by municipality. So from that experience, I've really just internalized that I really have to organize the way I love. I really have to just make sure that I'm loving everyone and making sure that I'm truly listening to everyone and making sure that love transfers to whether it's the election officials, um, whether it's to the commission for them to listen to my community as well. And I really also had to learn that there's obstacles just everywhere that you know, it's already hard enough to gather that information and translate it and customize it by county, by city, by municipality, and just statewide things as well. And there's so much power when you're not only meeting people where they're at, but also giving them the information in a way they understand. And once they see what's happening, that's usually brushed under the rug. And even once people are given the tools they need to take action, I often don't see hesitation. Once that moment clicks, I've seen it in Georgia, I've seen it in Indiana, that once people have the tools and knowledge to take action, they usually do, especially people like us who just deeply care about our community. So those are just a couple of things where I just think the inter information gathering strategies were phenomenal and just the outreach was phenomenal. And just making sure we don't back down from the message because there's 
there's people um, in both state and nationally that really try to gaslight our community, try to spread false information. And I know when we stay centered in just integrity and truth and just being centered in our communities and our culture, it takes us a million light years, quite honestly. But those are just a couple of reflections, just uh, thinking about just thinking about my experiences there and honestly coming back here. Yeah, I like, like, oh, go ahead. This is McQueen, but this follow-up is is specifically um, for you that kind of connects to, <laughs> kind of connects to what Jalen mentioned about um, working from kind of this radical love ethic, right? That we hear about when we, when we think about folks like, uh, Ella Baker and Martin Luther King Jr., um, people who really started with the base of love, which we know what that looks like in terms of an ethic of care for our for the Black community in particular. Um, and what I like about Countess Ann is that, um, you know, a lot of you have mentioned like marginalized populations. You've mentioned Black and Brown populations. You've talked about this uh, disability or folks who have um, ability differences, right? Um, I'm thinking you're also including the LGBTQ plus community. You're, you know, it's all of these people that um, are kind of resting at the margins that we sometimes miss and that fall through the cracks, right? Um, people who are low income, families who are struggling from day to day to, to make ends meet. So um, Maquiba, can you talk a little bit about what it means um, for us to kind of meet people at those, those uh, intersections? And can you specifically point to some examples maybe of ways that you've done that work um, in our little city of Bloomington um, and Monroe County? Yeah, hundred percent. Thank you for the question. I wanted to follow up so bad with what Jalen was saying because um, I love Jalen so much, but sometimes I feel like we, it's so much more that you've been doing. <laughs> I'm like, I want to share it more. Um, but one thing that I would recommend one thing that we've been doing is more so getting more and more educated. And so education is so strong and so powerful, like even knowing and talking about redistricting and gerrymandering and how that affects uh, voter suppression, because sometimes people make it seem as if it's this mystical thing that voter suppression isn't a real uh, issue in our communities, but it is. If you are redistricting or if you're doing what's called gerrymandering, which is manipulating the boundaries of an electoral constituency to favor one party. And that's achieved by manipulating results. And so if you're doing that and, you, and low income or certain communities aren't aware of that, then you are suppressing their vote because they don't know that it's happening, right? And so the only way that we're able to get that information out there is through things. Uh, we do a really good job and again, I'm gonna give kudos to the team. We do a really good job with coalition building. We built coalitions in different pockets, whether it's in Fort Wayne, that's pretty much home base. We've done coalition building in Indianapolis, um, amazing partnership uh, because of Jalen and her uh, partnership with InSilk. And then we have partnership in, in Bloomington. I was like, Jalen, I wanna do um, our listening sessions in Bloomington. Can we get the black community together in these listening sessions our opportunities for black for various coalitions to come together. The first one that the NAACP uh, accomplished as my role as VP was uh, specifically focused on issues within the black community. 
in, in our intersections. And so inviting various community organizations to come together, to be in a shared space, to articulate our needs so people can stop guessing what we need and hear what we need in this listening session. And that was in partnership with Count Us In. And that's a really simple way in order to hear and up and amplify uh, the issues that are affecting various commu communities in our intersections is definitely having a space where outside entities can listen and we share out and uh, let you know what our concerns are. And then having the opportunity to uh, build coalitions. But one thing that I think within what we, I believe that we're focusing on additional things is as we prepare for this next election season it's paying attention to redistricting and gerrymandering. What does that do and how can that affect? Why is that affecting our communities? You know, um, I hope you all realize how fortunate you are to have Maquiba as president of the Black Democratic Caucus here in Bloomington. She used to be my communications director. And then she put us down to join, uh, count us in. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, I got oh, no. over it. <laughs> She'll be back one day. But I want to throw this next question out for Monique and Clarence. Um, since you've been with uh, Count Us In, can you point to any any measurable successes that you've had in the work that you do, or or can you just tell us uh, if about the progress that you see in some of the work that you do? Monique, I'll, uh, I'll let Monique speak first. He keeps doing that. <laughs> Thanks, Clarence. No. Um, um, let's see. I I would say with just like with the small amount of time frame that we had to work on our fellowship project, we actually like all of us, um, we have a couple that aren't here made some measurable success. Um, for example, like I got in touch with um some groups in Muncie. So I put Countison's name out there. It was virtual, but like through outreach, I felt like the outreach was the most successful part of my project. And I know that some of our teammates had a really good like information. I know previously McQuiva mentioned how education is really important. And I've, I think two of our fellows that aren't on had a really good project about watering holes and using their research tools. And that was a successful, measurable outcome. So, yeah. <laughs> Clarence, now it's your Monique turn. Is really, <laughs> hang you. on a second. Monique is being very humble right now because <laughs> let me just brag on Monique real quick. She started a whole webinar series, her and Clarence did, that was specifically tailored for Black people who were impacted by incarceration, people with disabilities to learn their voting rights. They were looking up like the Help Americans Vote Act. They were looking up the in giving know your rights training so i just want monique to understand she's underselling herself right now <laughs> yes, she really monique is, has, has been a very great asset um and that's actually what i would say to me is the greatest thing and the greatest progress that i have seen come from counters in is by the people that are part of counters in and everybody that makes up counters in because as Jalen said Everyone is so enthralled in their passion and it's not, it's not really work for us. This is something that we want to do anyway, but I did get the chance to see everybody 
shine their light and their light starts to you know illuminate a little bit brighter. I, I can literally feel everybody's vibration when we have our meetings or when we talk and the camaraderie that comes with everything that's going on. And I know that even if it's 10 years from now, I know that what has been instilled in everyone from being a part of Countersand and the research they've done, they've done. And we're always helping each other with our projects. It's not a one man thing. Let us know what's going on with you and we're gonna help the best that we can. I know that that piece of that fabric that has now become part of their cloth, it just illuminates everywhere they go. It's very hard for you not to have a certain smile on your face when you see certain things going on because you have something to say. Or for instance, as this interview is going on and we've let people know about it, I know that there's a certain pride that comes with being an activist for your community. And the advocacy makes you just, people draw into you. And as they draw into you, we've become bundles of information. So I'm being walking bundles of information, regardless of how many people we touch. I know that the people that we do come across, nine times out of 10, we have some very good pertinent information for you, even if I just have one person to give it to. You know, um, that's the greatest part to me because everybody on this call and everybody that I know from Countersand, if you ask them anything about civil rights or something like that, it's second nature. It comes just like waking up in the morning and taking a breath. And if they don't have the information, one of us probably do. So we're like a, a mobile unit of information. We are here, we're out here, and we're growing. I see us everywhere. We're going to have Juneteenth down here. Um, and it just so happened to be around the corner from where I'm at. Everybody's been talking about this Juneteenth. I just had not paid attention to the fact that this Juneteenth was sponsored by Count Us In. Um, yes, I feel that. <clears throat> Yeah, I just, I just, we were I just, one of the, we're one of the sponsors. It's a whole lot of us that came together, so it's like a whole team. Yeah, I, I, I just, look, I just, because uh, Jalen was asking me when I go into the Juneteenth, I just realized that that was the same Juneteenth. Um, but like, yeah, just like, like within that, man, I, I see that uh, we have all enabled each other to touch so many hands. Like McQueen was spoke on the coalitions. This isn't a a, a one man team. This isn't big eyes, little use. We are all in the same place and we're all fighting for the same cause and the same goal. And this is the place where we have become equal and that's what we want everybody else to be. Thank you, Clarence. That's a good segue into something I was thinking about while you were talking about um, the just how you light up when you were talking about counting in. And I think watching you all and obviously our listeners can't see, but every time you all talk about counting us in, you just kind of, it's like illumination just comes around you. So, um, and you won't you won't pride in your in your organization, right? You want to have pride in your community and the work that you're doing. So, my question to you is: as we think about um, being young activists um, and how you can be, you know, discouraged, and we all know that ageism works works both ways. It's not just speaking or, or working against, you know, systems against older people, it, they also work against younger people too. So um, when we think about activism and think about count us in, and I'm looking at how all of you have different roles that you play, um, how do you identify where you fit into this whole activist puzzle? Because we know that activists do different things. It's not just picketing, it's not just marching, it's not just let's go tell the people what we think. Um, you also have, you know, and McQueen and I talk about this often, you also have the planners, the strategists, the buyer restings of the crew. So how did you 
identify like where you fit individually. And if, if one person, maybe Jalen can kind of bring all that together for Count Us In and how that works and how y'all have kind of this well-oiled machine. You might, it might get a little rusty sometimes, but <laughs> how, do you, <laughs> how do you put all that together at the end? So um, if you want to start with just your individual identity as an activist, and then if Jalen can kind of wrap it all up nicely for us at the end of that. Ladies first, ladies first. Clarence, I'm going to let you go before me, though. So you, if you want to go before me, okay. Veronica, Monique. Look at the strategy. See, we <laughs> <laughs> go ahead clarence please okay um well for me it was easy to find my place because i knew that i was coming into a team of people this is not my team this is a team of people that i'm coming to be a part of their family and you know probably just in playing my role as a family like i said i come from a sports background things of that nature uh, one of my favorite sports was baseball and in baseball, you have to be able to play every position. You have your good positions, the positions you like the most. But as a baseball player, you have to be able to play any position at any time, including the most hard, the hardest one, which is pitching. So I looked at it like baseball. I come in and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a player on this team. I'm not a captain. I'm not a manager. So I take the orders that are given to me. And as they're given to me and what's out in the air, I assist the best way that I can. And in the areas that I can lead, um, I make sure that, I throw my ideas out there and I follow what is given to me. Cause like I say, I'm in someone else's paradigm. I'm a part of the paradigm. So within knowing that I'm coming to be a part of someone's paradigm, I have to be all ears open. I have to be available and vulnerable to whatever it is that they want and just naturally follow what is, what is needed. And so we can properly coagulate at the time that we need to coagulate. Cause everybody has their different roles. Like you say, planners and things of that nature, and you're supposed to let people lead in their roles. A good leader knows that you don't go out and try to take over everything. You wait until you're appointed to do what you have to do and then you fall back. So it was pretty easy for me. Nice eat into this transition. Um, I chalked that up to adaptability, right, Clarence? I think we talked about that uh, during one of my interviews. But what I do know is that when we first, our very first meeting, I think, or maybe our second meeting with our fellows, um, we were given a chart to look at. We're like, where is your, and has like circles on it. And it's like, what's your, um, where do you find yourself on the realm of the social justice um, circles? And like, they have like visionaries and like, they have the, the writers and the supporters and the people that cook and do all these different role plays, you know? And I remember looking at that, um, we had to choose one, we talked about it and like, hey, guess which ones you are. I didn't know at that time, but then I figured it out as I went through the course of doing our project with Clarence and Venus and the whole team. Uh, you know, I think it depends on what project you're doing. I found that I was a visionary and could offer a lot of support and organizational strategies that I could take out into my larger um, activist role later on so yeah <laughs> that makes sense and yeah <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense so what Monique is talking about is a social change ecosystem and I'm sure that Jalen uh we both will talk about it but it's the social change ecosystem and this is my social work hat coming out 
So we all play a role in a realm and ecosystem. And I know Glow and I, we've talked about this too, because she knows that I'm the type of person, I want to go change and build a whole new city. Forget what we got right now. Let's tear it down. I want to go build a new city. You ready? You down? What's up? Can you help me with the details? <laughs> that Glow helped me with the details. She helped me to pull myself back. <laughs> But the social change ecosystem helps us to see that there's not one way of doing certain things. And so because, uh, so you have like um, disruptors, you have visionaries, you have cooks, you have chefs, you have um, leaders, you have uh, peacemakers, bridge builders. We're all, it's all necessary for the moment. And for me, I was angry. I was pissed off last year. Um, I was ticked off and it just rattled even more in me to create and to be in a space of expressing the fact that this is not right and this is what we need to do to change. So in a moment, perhaps I was a disruptor, but also in that moment, I was also a bridge builder because I'm like, hey, how can we, who are the necessary individuals that need to be connected so that we can build this sense of unity so we can, you know, from the top, from the bottom up, actually, because the top wasn't working. You know, the top, I wasn't, it was just a lot going on, a lot of voter suppression, a lot of things that need to be eradicated, um, bringing education, especially Indiana being bottom five, that's not okay. And so knowing that I was upset, I had to figure out how can I channel that and knowing that I couldn't do it alone. I think that that's the most important thing is trying to figure out who else is angry and how can I show radical love in a meaningful way that helps to change the culture and that's where you have, where I was evaluating my ego, right? Do you have ego? Do you have pride? And I was evaluating that and to make sure that my purpose was rooted in love, because if it's rooted in love, then there's hope that's going to come from it. And so I wanted to make sure it was rooted in love. And so therefore um, I was able to uh, be a part of this count us in and to, and to know that the work that I'm doing is meaningful enough to even touch people that work on a global scale such as humanity in action. And I think that it'd be really good for us to talk a little bit more if we have time to talk about the um, Racial Justice Fellowship uh, and Accessibility Fellowship, because I think a lot of the listeners may not know fully what that is. Jalen, I don't know if you wanted to take that over. Sure, I can, I can wrap it up and add to that. So yeah, and I'm glad y'all can't see me because every time I hear McQueeva the fellow talks, I, I low-key start tearing up and McQueeva is like, Jalen, you better stop crying. But I just feel so much pride and love all the time. And really, so for me personally, I, I do understand at this point in time, I've come to accept that I'm a visionary. And I understand that my vision disrupts the current oppression, oppressive systems that we constantly have to face over and over. And my vision is also to ensure that my community has the resources and tools that they need, um, whether it's just to navigate these systems and survive, because that is where some of us are still at. And there's some who just need the tools and resources to heal and have the tools to take action. So when I was creating Countison, I was really trying to be mindful of what McQueeva and Monique were alluding to the social change ecosystem really meeting people where they're at, like, what role do you see yourself? What role do you currently feel safe and empowered to do right now? That's all right. Let's build on that. And that's all right if your role changes. I know for me personally, I used to be a frontline person, a disruptor, a protester. And then after multiple leg um, surgeries on my legs, I had to switch. And I feel confident and validated in that now. 
And I just really wanted to create a space where multiple generations could come together and still love each other and work together with all of our unique talents and possibilities that we could create. And the next layer of that is we work in a lens of integrated civic engagement. And if you haven't heard that, there's a great article by Alexis Anderson Reed, who did work with state voices. Um, and that approach is essentially validating, like, if you civically engage by protesting, voting, um, educating people, running for office, writing petitions, whatever it is you do, and whatever way you individually see yourself taking that action, I wanted people to feel empowered by that. And essentially, in every initiative that we do to tackle these systemic issues while continuing to empower our community in the process, that's what we're centered in. And with the Racial Justice and Accessibility Fellowship, I mean, I've noted earlier in the call, born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana, I felt compelled to do civil and human rights. And unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't know where to go here at first. Um, so I ended up going to Atlanta, Georgia, because I knew that's where John Lewis was and other great legendary people that, you know, paved the way for our civil rights today in the South. And I also feel sad that, you know, why did I feel like I had to leave to get that information? What would, I, what would have made me feel more empowered to have this knowledge and capability while staying? And that's why I created um, the Racial Justice and Accessibility Fellowship. Starting Count Us In, I mentioned November 2019 in some of my um, posts and interviews is when the idea came about. And as soon as we were up and running <laughs> COVID, you know, and police brutality and racial inequities were at a amplified high. So I understood like, oh, I can't wait to do these ideas I've been thinking about. I have to take action now. So I created the Racial Justice and Accessibility Fellowship just envisioning it and finding the right people to help me, like McQueeva, who's also an amazing bridge builder and visionary, to uplift people that were based in Indiana, um, that identifies Black, has been impacted by incarceration either directly or a loved one, and or live with a disability. So I envisioned to have this multi-generational cohort to really just invest in them and making sure they're okay while they navigate this very difficult thing we call social justice. Um, for a lot of us, that leap is scary and hard. And just even when you're not afraid, it's just challenging. So I wanted to create that space. And I was very fortunate through just my education. I was a humane action senior fellow, which essentially I helped um, as a fellow previously create human rights projects around the nation and the globe and help advise people's projects. And so by going to them and asking for a grant and applying, I actually was able to secure international and national um, investment back home to my community. And I guess full circle back hearing Monique Clarence and the other fellows and just even other team members on Countison just talk about how they feel empowered and pride to do that. I always feel moved to tears because I'm like, okay, yes, it's working like people have the resources they need and they're confident in the struggle of doing it this beautiful struggle so i mean honestly that's the core of counterson we really emphasize that intersectional engagement and meeting people where they are and 
investing in people so that they can feel pride for our community while um, feel pride and empowered in themselves as they make change because we sim- we deserve to be here. We deserve to have these resources and we were denied them far too long. Okay. I- I've heard um, a couple of you throw out the term social change ecosystem. And by the way, I like that. I might start saying that just for the fun of it. But <laughs> while, while you were saying that, some things started to go through my mind, like uh, the demographics. We have a black population in Indiana of about 650,000, a white population just under 6 million. We have a, a, a blood red voting block, a super majority in the, uh, in the state house and all kinds of voter suppression laws. And that's just the beginning. So when you think about the work that you do, what's, what comes to your mind about what you have to do, some of the strategies you want to use? Are you the least been intimidated by that? And I'll, let, let me gonna, say, let me say, we got about 13 minutes left, so we might finish out the segment with that answer. But brief, briefly, go around the horn, please. 13 minutes. Okay, I'll go real quick. So there, there's some work for that we're putting out. I don't want to put it out there yet, but our, the goal is to build coalitions because the stronger the the reason why that's so important. One is because individuals that aren't uh, black, indigenous, and people of color, like our white brothers and sisters that's listening to this, they're listening to us. They're, it's like a, a change, hopefully, that's happening. And they're under they're understanding because people are having these conversations, they're seeing a lot of change, they're seeing companies change, they're seeing statements being made. Hopefully they're actually not just performative, but really integrating and building inclusivity in their communities. And so the question that I have for even the listeners out there today, those that joined these protests, those that joined and listened in and saw all the um, uh, crazy, uh, random craziness that took place this past year in 2020, what are you doing to change, um, to be a part of this this ecosystem of change, right? So what are you doing from a year from from now, around this time was the protest, right? Did you only participate in the protest and that's it? Are you changing things within the places where you work, in the places of your government, in the places of your uh, community, in your home? Because so many times people put the onus on us. We're out here doing the work. I'm not intimidated because the work is being done, but you're putting, so many people are putting the work on us. And it's just like, no, we're, you know, leading the charge, but it's like, what else are you doing out there if you want to join in on us? So I think that it's, it's a call for the listeners, our accomplices, our allies to get a part of, to be a part of this. So I think that that's, that's to me, is, is what the, uh, the voice of change is, is for our allies and accomplices to be a part of it. Um, for me, there's no intimidation with it, but I do know that people do get intimidated because intimidation and fear are the factor of the unknown. Can't intimidate me because I don't have the unknown. Um, but I do like what I see going on and the, you know, the social and the civic engagement. Because as McQueebar saying, we are a mass group of people. We are not just divided by race, color, and creed. And we are also united regardless of our race, color, and creed. I don't know if anybody else knows, but the words uh, majority rules or the minorities, back in, when we had um, kings and queens, majority rules, majority or the major, M-A-J-O-R-E, major was the ruling family. That's where you get majority rules from and everybody else was a, was a, was a minor or a minority. There, that's when there was no voting. There was just whatever the ruling class says. So as we're 
coming to these different intersections, regardless of race, religion, or creed, we are all a minority in a sense where we're being suppressed from the voting and deciding what's going on with us. But this is also bringing us to a, a, a new a new time in society where things are really changing. And for instance, diversity, inclusion, and belonging is one of the very big things going on right now, especially with the pronouns that people identify themselves by pronouns. And within this generation, I believe it's Generation Z, 63% of people of this generation say they will not work for a company that is not diverse. So we are changing from color to how do we relate? And that's so great to me. Thank you. Thank y'all so much. Um, as we begin to wrap up, want people to, um, we want people to get to know Countess in Indiana, right? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about opportunities to get involved? Any events that, that you have coming up this Juneteenth celebration? I'm like, dang, I think I need to go. And I got like five Juneteenth activities on my calendar already but it sounds like it's pretty fun or it's going to be pretty fun or something that that the community can enjoy so um anyone that can share about some opportunities some events coming up even if they're virtual um and where can where can our listeners find information about countess in and how to get involved yes absolutely we would love for more people to get involved and either just as a one-time thing or if they want to, you know, join a committee of some sort. One of the, besides Juneteenth, one of the most exciting things we're doing is we are working on our voting rights coalition. We, like McQueeva has mentioned, we're bringing together leaders in different arenas of the social justice ecosystem across the state. It's virtual. We're going to have another meeting June 23rd at 6 p.m., so if you would love, I would love for you all to join if you're listening or at least check it out. Um, it's 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time and it's virtual. And if you're interested, you can email us at countessindiana at gmail.com. And if you want to check us out on social media, our, all of our, um, what is it? All of our tags, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that. It's at countessindiana. So just count us in the state spelled out. And that's how you can find us. And yeah, we have different committee meetings, again, to be engaged throughout the year. Education committee, outreach and communications, as well as fundraising, because the movement needs funding too, okay? <laughs> so whatever it is you feel comfortable doing, we have those opportunities um, accessible online and uh, yeah, that's, that's a great way to keep in touch with us. And our website is countessindiana.org. And just to touch on a Juneteenth celebration that Countess In is sponsoring, that's going to, the one is, well, Jalen trying to be at two places at one time, but we, we talked about it. <laughs> She's going to actually be speaking in Warsaw, bless her heart. But the one that we sponsored is in Indianapolis and that is June 19th. Um, uh, which is a Saturday from 12 to 6 p.m. at Riverside Park. It's a it's a combination of a lot of organizations that came together to sponsor this. Encounters in Indiana is one of the sponsors. So if you're looking for something, uh, go ahead and go to that. It's Riverside Park, 2420 East Riverside Drive, Indianapolis, Indiana. You'll see our banner um, loud and proud out there. 
You we won't st- just see our banner. I'll be there. Clarence Underwood will be there in counter-saying capacity. I'll be doing interviews by our banner and all that good type stuff. You'll have some footage from Juneteenth in Indianapolis. Clarence, you're, gonna, you're also going to have a book signing? Uh, Whenever you're ready. On your radio. We'll you are an author, right? <laughs> yes, sir. I am an author. Okay. I'm, I'm an author. Um, we still have a few minutes left, so I'm going to squeeze in another question. Um, McQueba mentioned... Uh, building coalitions, but I actually want to draw uh, Monique back into the conversation. So McQueba, you mentioned that you have to build coalitions. I was wondering what kind of support you're getting from uh, other organizations uh, and Black politicians in particular. Are, are they supporting the work the, the, that you're doing? I think this could be a two-person question, so I don't want to call anyone out, but if anyone else want to join in, Feel free. Well, um, I, I did want to draw Monique back into the conversation. She's been kind of quiet yes, over there. I like to join uh, Jalen into this conversation as well because <laughs> she knows some things too that I don't fully know. But there are Black politicians that are definitely knocking at our door and also our Latinx community uh, that are also not knocking on our door. Individuals in the LGBTQIA plus community are knocking on the door to make sure that they let us know like, hey, I'm running for office. So communicating because it's nonpartisan. So we're trying to figure out who's, you know, running for what. And then also, um, so the goal is to build coalition to support one another, to support these uh, various groups that we uh, support, such as Black, Indigenous, people of color in our intersections. Um, so we're literally out there uh, talking to people as much as we need and encouraging people to run or if they're not running to be educated about what uh, individuals that are running, what are they, what they're doing, what their platform is. So there are uh, numerous of uh, individuals that are uh, asking us questions and how can they get involved and in telling us their platform. Okay, and what about black politicians? Are you hearing from any of them? Yes. Okay. Period. Gloria, I think you had a question <laughs> you wanted to. I um. I, this is this goes along with, but kind of a, a fun question that I like to ask people, especially you all, since you're since you're um, activists and working and in the trenches. What are you reading these days? Can you give us one book um, that you can share, maybe for some of our our listeners who you know are on there trying to be a part of, as William said, the social justice ecosystem. Uh, what's the book that you recommend that maybe you've been reading that you picked up that has to do with social justice, equity, blackness, people of color, all those things? The oh, best look. book to tell anybody I've been reading is myself. You have to read yourself <laughs> or you know anything else. Because even when you go study something else, you have to learn how to apply it to yourself. How do you fit in? So even when you know thyself and you ask what should you learn again, you should know yourself over and over again. Best book you can read snaps okay um thank you Claire. monique um i have two first one um i just picked it out just came to me from amazon <laughs> i did i bought it from amazon but um it's called the master's tool will not dismantle i forget the rest of it but it's by audrey lord yes and then the second one is the bell hooks book and it's the second book in her series the one that's all about love so this is the second book. I forget what it's called, but it's by Bill Hooks. So it's social justice oriented that people can check out. 
Love I it. have three books. I'm sorry. You said one. Can I give three? No, just one. <laughs> oh, this is hard. Okay. I'm going to say You Are Your Best Thing by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. I love the fact that yes! it, talks, it talks a lot about activism in different ways and it's co-created by um, actual uh, other authors and activists. Okay. Anybody and else? I'll be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm reading like policies all day. So sometimes I'm like, ah, <laughs> so I like the book I've been digging into lately is Becoming by Michelle Obama. I know I'm late. I'm getting to it now. I missed the wave, but it is everything to read that. So if you haven't and you're late like me, it's okay. Just read it, please. Okay. <laughs> and normally when we uh, run out of time, that means uh, we get to commit everyone to coming back to do a part two so that said we would love to get you all back on so we can finish the conversation and then you can bring us up to date on uh some some some, some of the work that you're doing so on, on that I got note three books three books <laughs> on that note we want to thank Jalen Radzminski, McQueeba Reese, Clarence Underwood and Monique Vargas with the Count Us In organization who comprise tonight's next generation of young black activists. To learn more, you can visit www.countusindiana.org. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea or an event or happening in the African-American community that we should know about, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is yours truly. Our consultant and news department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Gloria Howell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.